Jokes are better. So, if your transmission's a joker, you need an ace. AceTransmissionService.com I'm the son of a good man. I'm the child of an angel. I'm the brother of a wild one. And I'm looking for direction. News analysis and opinion. It's the Elijah Har Show on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Welcome back to the show. I'm excited about our next guest, Chris Edwards. He is an economist with the Cato Institute in Washington, D.C. Chris, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Joelle. Great to hear your voice. So, Chris, when I worked in D.C., was one of the smartest people I knew. And when I needed information, I called Chris and he made me look really smart. So that's what he's going to do for us today. Um You've got a new report out about foreign uh, food aid, well, food aid programs and international food aid. And then this is part of a larger discussion, which is Congress is going to be considering the farm bill, which we all eat every day. So there's a, this bill is important to us. But let's uh, hear about your new report that you put out. Hey, thanks for the uh, thanks for the intro. Well, as you know, Joelle, Washington's got a massive deficit problem. We need to find some spending savings all across the budget, and we've got a big farm bill uh, coming up in front of Congress. So I'm digging through, looking for savings, and I, I discovered that we spend over two billion dollars a year uh, sending uh, food to uh, low-income countries abroad, uh, places in Africa and the like. And at first blush, that seems like kind of a good humanitarian thing to do. But when you look at the details of these programs, you realize they're not practical at all. So I'll give you two reasons why. So if you think about a poor country like Ethiopia, maybe they're they're having hunger problems. Uh, if we send American sort of food over there and hand it out for free, what we're doing is we're undercutting the farmers in those foreign countries and reducing the ability for the, those countries to feed themselves. Another thing I discovered is that giving um, foreign food aid uh, as we often do in conflict zones, places like Yemen and Ethiopia and the like, it actually helps fuel the conflict because because corrupt governments often grab this foreign food aid and they, they use it as sort of political spoils. So, um, you know, there's a lot of programs like this in the federal budget where if you look at, you know, initially they kind of seem like, they, you know, they make sense. But if you dig into the details, as you may remember from your years doing budget work, Joelle, that, you know, they actually don't make much practical sense when you look at them in detail. I mean, definitely, I think we would be surprised to learn that, you know, essentially the money that we're sending over there is causing more conflict when we're spending all we're spending money at the same time to help reduce international conflict. But then we're in typical government fashion doing something that is completely making the situation worse. That's right. And, you know, one of the things I um, discovered looking into foreign aid is that we've got over 20 federal agencies involved in foreign aid now. You, you know, we've got the lead agency, the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID. And uh, but then we've got 19 other federal agencies. And so these programs that I was discussing were in the Department of Agriculture. And, you know, it's it seems like, uh, you know, every agency wants to be involved in every activities. And it's time to start consolidating uh, these uh, these programs in Washington. So 
I would say leave foreign aid to the experts in USAID and let's get the Department of Agriculture uh, out of the foreign aid business and save taxpayers $2 billion here. Chris, this is Elijah. It feels like every time there's a new report on the deficit or debt hitting a new record high, and every time there's an election cycle and people start talking about cutting spending, the first place everybody starts is foreign aid. And it's always like, oh, let's not spend money on the people that hate us. But it never seems to happen. I'm trying to figure out where where does the disconnect happen between running for office and getting elected and suddenly thinking that we should vote for all the foreign aid in the world? Uh, you know, I agree with you, and there's uh, lots of other examples of that. I mean, PBS funding uh, and NPR funding, uh, when I listen to those uh, channels and uh, I hear the bias, I'm um, appalled that I'm paying for that as a taxpayer, and Republicans always promise they're going to repeal that sort of uh, spending, and they don't. So, uh, I, yeah, I would like to see more follow-through, and all these, all these people who run for Congress, they promise they're going to make these spending reforms, and then they don't. That does seem to be an ongoing problem. I'm cracking up because it's even the name of one of the programs, Food for Progress, and the other one, Food for Peace, and literally doing the opposite. But like you said, I think, you know, the main issue, it's like mission creep, right? USDA was supposed to be about American farmers, American food supply, but chunk of their money is being siphoned off um, and sent overseas where we have other agencies that are supposed to, like you said, leave it to the experts. They're supposed to be the ones focused on the, on those programs. But uh, speaking of you, like farmers in the United States and our food supply, we all know that the cost of food has gone way up lately. Um, I, I don't know what our, what our listeners know about how it works, but with the, with the farm programs, Subsidies for farmers. It's a bill that comes up usually every five years. If I'm I'm pulling it from memory, um, and it has to be reauthorized. And there's some of that is discretionary money that goes out the door every year. Um, but a big chunk of that money is what's called mandatory money, and it's aid to farmers that um, you know kind of goes out the door every year without congressional approval every single year. And one of those is the SNAP program. And I was wondering if you could talk about that. Yeah, well, you know, we were talking about the foreign food aid programs. I mean, those were originally put in place back in the 1950s, and it's a good example of how programs that kind of make sense decades ago don't make sense anymore. The SNAP or food stamp program is another example of that, and I have a new report out on Cato on that program. So back when food stamps were put in place in the 1960s, you know, hunger was a, was was the main problem for uh, the main nutrition problem for low income households. But now it's completely flipped. We have an obesity crisis in America. The share of Americans that are obese has exploded from around 15 percent. Uh, back in 1980 to over 40% today. And yet we have the food stamp program that subsidizes, um, you know, people or total calories. And, um, we spend 120 billion a year on this program. We now know the, the U.S. Uh, Department of Agriculture has revealed that, uh, almost a quarter of all food stamp spending is for junk food, things like cola and potato chips. And so Senator Rubio has a bill that was says, Hey, look, let's at least cut the junk out of food stamps. That would save taxpayers money and we'd stop um, fueling the obesity crisis in America. What's when, when, when Rubio proposes this, what's the reception like to something like that? 
Well, the uh, you know the, he proposed that bill leading up to the farm bill. Uh, hopefully, when we we start debating the farm bill, uh, this is going to be one of the important issues that arises. I think Senator Rand Paul is also interested in this issue as a as a doctor. So you know, Congress was supposed to tackle the farm bill this fall. They've probably pushed it off for a few more months. But I think this is one of the issues that will come up. This the fact that that a quarter of all um, SNAP or food stamp spending which is around $25 billion a year, it's a lot of money, is essentially for cola and potato chips. It makes absolutely no sense, and this seems like one of those no-brainer areas where we can save uh, money in the budget. So we talked about this. You're also you're a tax expert, obviously. Um, have You put out dozens of reports every year on taxes, and not only are the food prices going up, but gas has been skyrocketing, and um, you've done some work on federal gas tax issues and i would like to hear your your view on the gas tax generally and at the federal level and state level well, I'm in favor of, you know, basically decentralization uh, of spending activities uh, or reviving federalism, you know, to go back a little bit more how uh, our founders, you know, envisioned the government structure in the United States. So I think, you know, the, the, the U.S. states own uh, the entire highway system, all those interstates. They're actually owned by um, the states, the interstates in Missouri, owned by um, the state government. So I think if you own something, if you own an asset, you ought to fund it. So I'm actually in favor of uh, letting the states uh, fund their own infrastructure and and getting the federal government uh, out. Uh, You know, again, the federal government's got a giant deficit problem. We've got to start finding savings. And I think um, you know, getting the federal government out of some areas that states are already doing, like infrastructure, like education, you know, that's the way we need to start making budget reforms. Well, I, I like that idea. And then states can decide what they want to do, and then you can decide what state you want to live in. Um, what is your view of, so the new speaker proposed uh, to pay for the funding for Israel by cutting IRS funding. And I know that, you know, you've done some stuff, some work on the tax gap and things like that. What is your view of that, the concept of a pay for, and then specifically the one that he picked? Well, I'm absolutely in favor of, you know, of Congress, any new spending Congress uh, does, they should absolutely offset it by reducing spending uh, elsewhere. Um, I, I like the idea of, uh, of cutting IRS uh, enforcement spending. Uh, the Biden administration is, is more planning to more than triple IRS enforcement spending over the next decade, an enormous amount of money. But that's not what we need from the IRS. The IRS is enormously inefficient. The customer service is terrible. Its computer systems are in terrible shape. More more funding for the IRS to improve customer service and its computer systems. That's great. That's good. We need that. But we don't need more enforcement spending. Um, you know, if you look internationally, Americans are actually very law-abiding with our tax system, uh, despite what some uh, uh, some of the rhetoric coming out of Washington. Uh, in fact, you know, tax cheating is actually it's no higher than it's ever been. Every tax system is going to have some cheating. We should try to minimize it. But the problem, if you uh, increase the aggressiveness of IRS enforcement, there's a lot of collateral damage. You end up piling more paperwork and more audits uh, and more court cases on people who are innocent and have paid the proper amount of tax. So 
again, so I think with the IRS, um, you know, more for customer service, that's fine. But I think the Speaker of the House is right to to cut back on some of this additional enforcement spending that President Biden wants to do. It's interesting because the CBO is rating this cut to the IRS as actually costing money. Do you agree with the CBO's response to this? Well, it might, you know, yes, if, if you increase the aggressiveness of IRS enforcement, you'll probably raise some more money. But my point is that it, it, the problem is there's collateral damage here. Um, you know, the government could do, you know, the government could put an IRS agent in everyone's living room in America to absolutely zero out the tax gap. But we don't want that. We are Americans. We got civil liberties concerns here. So um, so there's broader concerns here than just the extra amount of money the IRS might raise. Chris, tell us a little bit uh, the work that you do at the Cato Institute uh, give us a couple examples of when you all have, have done reports or work, or whatever, and then you've actually seen victory in the legislative process. Because sometimes, you know, from an outsider's perspective, you're like, ah, every year they're just spending more money. But surely there's wins that happen from the, the, the cut spending crowd. You know, they're <laughs> on the spending side, as Joel would know. Well, it's very difficult to get uh, spending reform uh, victories in in Washington. Um, but you know, there are a few things that I proposed over the years that actually ended up being enacted. So I'll give you an example. You know, a decade ago, when uh, there was, uh, I started writing about how federal government workers were far overpaid. They had uh, gold-plated um, pensions. They they get both a defined benefit and defined contribution uh, retirement plans. They're way overpaid, um, and and. Republicans, to their credit, when the uh, the Tea Party movement, you know, succeeded and we and the Republicans had a big election win in twenty. 20- 10, uh, the uh, President Obama was uh, put in place a three-year freeze on federal salaries, and that actually went a, uh, quite a ways to start equaling out federal salaries to much lower private sector salaries. So, uh, you know, occasionally, you know, you can get reforms through. It is very difficult, though. Well, I certainly agree with that. Uh, it was one of the reasons I had, I had to leave. I felt like, uh-oh, I'm not getting anything done. I better go. But uh, we only have a couple minutes, but I was wondering... Your view of the proposed fiscal commission, obviously, for those who don't know, I worked on the last one in 2010, so I have I have some opinions on the topic, but what do you think of the idea, and should we give it another shot? I say why not? It doesn't cost much. Um, you know, we need to put the idea of spending reforms out in front of the public, um, so I, I think at minimum, a new commission will provide some additional education for the public and for members of Congress um, about, you know, why we need spending and what spending can we cut. I've been hearing uh, a lot in recent years, Joelle, about how members and staffers on Capitol Hill have a lot less knowledge about the details of the budget than when you were in uh, D.C. So I think at least a commission will provide education for members and staffers and reporters uh, about options for reforming spending. Uh, if we, if the next president comes in and wants to cut spending, uh, then at least there's going to be some proposals on the table for him or her. Uh, Chris, as we do every day, we finish up with a couple questions. One is the question of the day. Uh, last night was Halloween. This morning was very difficult to get the kids to school. So the question of the day on the show is, what's the most difficult holiday to recover from? <laughs> 
you know, I decided to cut sugar out of my diet, so Halloween now is a little uh, less exciting. <laughs> so, <laughs> but luckily, my kids have gone to college, and so there uh, there isn't sugar and candies hanging around the house here. So, uh, you know, but I, I think that is Halloween is is difficult to uh, to recover from. And Chris, if, uh, if people want to follow along with you on, on the internet or on social media, learn more about the work that you're doing in Washington, D.C., how do they do that? Best place to find me, just Google Chris Edwards or find me at the Cato uh, website, just Cato.org. Uh, and my website, uh, part of Cato, which is downsizinggovernment.org, I propose uh, spending cuts for every federal department to try to get this deficit under control. All right, Chris, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Chris. Uh, that was Chris Edwards talking about uh, spending in Washington, D.C. Don't forget, we're going to be right back, talk about the toughest holidays to recover from. Next hour, 5.05, Holly Rader going to join us. After the top of the hour news at 5.20, we're going to have What the Hill with Joel Cannon. And at 5.37, The Snake Draft, our regular Wednesday feature. Stick around for all that and more. We'll be right back.